We're very privileged to have our speaker, James, and his wife, Vicky, to visit with us today. And I'm going to uh, uh, invite Vicky and James now. Uh, if, for those of you who weren't here this morning, you missed a short interview that Pastor Lloyd had given to James. But uh, for the sake of all those who missed that, we're going to uh, just going to ask you a couple of questions uh, before you take the, uh, the the service for us today, James. One is, where where are you from? Just Michigan. Okay, Michigan. Yeah. United States of America. Who's been to Michigan? I haven't. Good. You have not? No, no, I haven't been there. No, I've been to New Zealand, but I haven't been to Michigan. <laughs> I'm actually from Kiwi Land. It's in the right, it's in the right direction. Yeah. Uh, all right, I have a couple of questions for you. Have you always been a Seventh-day Adventist? No. Yes. Okay, you've been a Seventh-day Adventist. You haven't been a Seventh-day Adventist. No. So how did you become a Seventh-day Adventist? When I was in high school, my mother started watching It Is Written. And so our family took Bible studies and we became Adventists. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, And yourself, you have mentioned that you have been a Seventh-day Adventist all your life. Um, But how did you meet Jesus? Just because you were in the church doesn't necessarily mean to say we've met Jesus. You may know something about him, but when did you have your uh, conversion? You know, that, that is a really challenging question because, you know, you grow up knowing Jesus you come to the point which most of us are baptized once we make that commitment to Jesus. But I do believe that most all of us who are Christians, who are believers, have probably had that point in our lives where we have found ourselves probably kneeling at the cross like no other point in our life. And that's when we realize how, how much we need a Savior. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, I, I, I will tell you, it was not until my married life when, when I came to that point. And I know for everybody it's different. Okay, wonderful. Well, um, it's, it is a challenge. Doesn't matter whether you know when you join the church, and uh, it's a growing experience, isn't it? And that's it something that I find uh, we all go through. Um, Vicky, I have a question for you. Very oh. difficult question. Oh no! Uh, how we or, or what what attracted you to James? Can, can I answer that? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I get the final answer. <laughs> I'll ask Vicky first. Well, I think there's several things. You know, I think he's a handsome man. Um, I also really appreciated and loved Jim's um, knowledge about the Bible. We were in school in Andrews together, and he was very knowledgeable on that. Intrigued me. Okay. So so you you were attracted by his knowledge of the scriptures, and you felt that he was an attractive man. Yes. Okay. James. I, I won't challenge that. <laughs> Did you have a final word on that? No, 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 that's good. We're going to stop right there. <laughs> James, um, let me ask you this. Why is today's study so important? Today's study is important because most Adventists do not know what they believe and why. And how can we be bringing others to Jesus when there's so many voices out there telling them, that Jesus is not even a part of the scriptures. What I'm trying to do is to restore the Christ to those parts of scripture where he has been taken out. You know, James, in this church, we have Seventh-day Adventist Christians and we have non-Seventh-day Adventists. We have people that are uh, 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 relatively new to this, uh, to this, uh, this uh, church, uh, to this faith. 
And, uh, and I just want to challenge you because this morning's study, this is not an easy study. Uh, it's, it could even be a little overwhelming to, to not just newcomers, but even to the Seventh-day Adventist Christian, as James has just stated. Why? Because many aren't reading. Uh, the Bible says to study. It doesn't say to read. It's good to read, but you need to study to show yourself approved. So um, if you don't understand everything that is that is preached today, then I encourage you, go back and make a study of it. Don't be, don't be discouraged. Don't give up. Go and make a study of it. Pastor Lloyd uh, and myself are here, along with a couple of others, Claire. Uh, we are here to study the Bible with you as well. So this is just considered as a the beginning of a of your study in the Word of God. And I just want to um, uh, say thank you on behalf of Pastor Lloyd and the church for coming here today to taking time to uh, come and 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 uh, teach us what you have learnt. So God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Vicky. Well, good morning. And I see a couple more faces than what we had at Sabbath school this morning. You know, I, I can tell you, many Sabbaths, I feel like Sabbath school is the best part of my Sabbath, even more than church. Sabbath school is really a wonderful time to study. I met Lloyd some many months ago through Facebook. Not sure what the connection was, but I learned that he was a pastor. And the things that he would put up on Facebook excited me. I can tell you that I have learned that Pastor Lloyd is not a fluffy pastor. (laughs) He's very concerned about truth. Maybe the emphasis should be on very And the more I, the more I saw that he was putting up on Facebook, the deeper the discussions, the more I was attracted to his messages. And now over the last few months, my wife and I, being 14 hours behind you, will often take our Sabbath afternoons, and if we don't have anything going on, we go to the YouTube, We look for New Hope Church, and we watch your service. We're just one. So imagine how many other people are watching, learning, and appreciating what you are doing here in Sydney. First of all, we're we're going to be speaking, or I'm going to be speaking in just a few moments, about the four horsemen of Revelation. What I'm going to share with you is not going to be hard, but it's more challenging if you don't know your Bible. It's even more challenging if you haven't studied these things in your Bible. So I'm going to do a couple of things today. Uh, first of all, I have a nifty, simple, small little tract that I had written based off of the book I wrote on the Four Horsemen. This will be available to anyone after church today, and on the back is the Revelation website. And if you go to the website, there is no cost. This is just my gift, okay? There is no cost if you would like to email me and say, Jim, 
can I get a copy of the book and I will just email you the e-version and you will have it. No cost. The, the gospel should not cost money. And so today at the conclusion of church or anytime, just ask Vicky or I for one of these. This is a summary of what we'll be speaking on here for church this morning and this afternoon. And Pastor Lloyd, it has been, you know it's been a pleasure of mine to get to know you. May I offer this to you, please? Come right on up here. Um, I, I think the topic that that I have probably heard Pastor Lloyd speak on the most on Facebook is probably the Trinity. And I told my wife before we came here, I said, you know, I think I have finally found the connection. Pastor Lloyd has been seriously concerned about people pulling Jesus Christ out of the teaching of the Trinity. I have been concerned about people pulling Jesus Christ the Messiah out of prophecies of the Old and New Testament. And I think that's where probably our, our faith kind of connects on those, those important matters. So thank you for inviting us here. Uh, I'll start off with a quick story, and then we'll have prayer, and then we'll jump into the PowerPoint presentation. I had spent a few years in the Army. I worked as a chaplain's assistant, not by choice. I went as a mechanic. I went through my six months of basic training, my uh, basic training and learning how to be a mechanic. And when I arrived at Fort Benning, Georgia, my commander explained that he would be seeing all of us Saturday morning at the motor pool. After everybody else walked out, I explained to the commander that I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. I even had it printed on my dog tag. They printed it on my dog tag. But he made it clear, I'll be at the motor pool Saturday morning. I have no idea what a military jail or prison is like. But he had me scared. I immediately went across the street. It's Friday afternoon, about 3 o'clock. I went across the street. I knocked on the door of the chapel. I went inside and I explained my situation. The sergeant there at the chapel said, we have lost all three of our chaplain's assistants. They've all been assigned elsewhere. We're down to zero. Would you be willing to be a chaplain's assistant? You never know how God's going to open doors. And so I became a chaplain's assistant in the Army. I got out of the Army. I went off to college, started off at Western Illinois University. Later, came to the point of realizing I really needed to be in an Adventist school. And so I transferred up to Andrews University. It was still before I met my wife. I had the opportunity to go and work as a boys' dean at one of our academies up in Minnesota. But I asked the pastor up there in Minnesota if I could do a Revelation seminar. He agreed. We put out some information in the local newspaper, and it began. The first night, we talked about the introduction of Revelation, the introduction of Jesus Christ. Everything went great. The next time we met, we discussed the seven churches of chapters 2 and 3. Everything went great. The next time we met, we discussed chapters 4 and 5, Heavenly Throne Room. Everything went great. The next night, 
was Revelation 6, the four horsemen. And I began to teach what I had been taught all my life. At the conclusion of the first horse, one of the people in the church there raised his hand. He said, I have a question. Are you telling me or suggesting that the Antichrist was guiding the early church? Honestly, I had no clue as to how to answer that question. And that's why we're going to study his word this morning. Bow your heads with me. Oh, dear Lord, long flight across the water, a couple of days to you know, pull our sleep back together. And now here it is, your day of rest, your Sabbath, your sanctuary. Lord, we're about to open your word. We're about to look at a lot of PowerPoint slides. But Lord, as one of the young ladies said earlier, we're not here just to be smart, not just here to be knowledgeable. We want to learn your word. We want to learn more about you. I pray, Lord, that as we begin this study, that your Holy Spirit, through your word and through the things that we learn, will simply draw us closer to you. May we see you like we have never seen you before as we open these prophecies. I pray this in your name. Amen. The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. You know, they have uh, a pretty bad reputation. I've never heard of anyone speak of the Four Horsemen in a positive way. Here's a book by Dr. Tim LaHaye, The Cosmic Battle of the Ages, Armageddon. Notice what they did to the cover of the book. You see, this morning in the Sabbath school, I was sharing with you how sometimes people will even put things into a translation of the Bible to cause you to think a certain way. The four horsemen in your Bible, and, and if you have your Bibles, please now turn to uh, Revelation 6. That's where you're going to find the four horsemen. And when you go to Revelation 6, you're going to find that the very first horseman there in the first two verses of Revelation 6, the very first horse is not black. I mean, you look at these and we have four dastardly looking black horses. In your Bibles, you're going to find actually the first one's white and all four of them have different colors. But they colored them black here and then notice that they put the word Armageddon cross here. I mean, there's no way that you could not look at this book and believe that the four horsemen must be bad news. The four horses are all black. The word Armageddon is across the front. Already, the person who has designed the cover is starting to shape your thinking into such a way that it even distorts what the Bible actually says. Is this an important topic? Yes, it is. This man, who lives in my country lost his life and the life of many innocent people 
Because as Time Magazine points out, Revelation 6-8, he misunderstood what the four horsemen were about. So the question this morning for our service is, who is the rider on the first white horse in Revelation 6-1? Now, here's what's very interesting. Early Protestants, they believed it was Jesus Christ. Contemporary writers, they say he's the Antichrist. Imagine that. One group of people can open a book and say, this is Jesus Christ, and yet another group of Christians can open the same book, look at the same text, and say, no, that's the Antichrist. Can you imagine? Of course, only one can be right. Walk into a Christian bookstore today, all kinds of eye candy. You look in the prophecy section, most of the books will tell you that this writer is the Antichrist. But are they correct? This was interesting. I took some of our, well, these were basically the books that were available to me 30 years ago when that gentleman raised his hand in the church and asked me, you know, am I suggesting that the early church is following the Antichrist? I looked at our early books. None of them talked about the writer. So these didn't help me. Why is the identity of the first horseman even important? Well, first of all, how do we understand the message? If it's Jesus Christ, that's one message. If it's the Antichrist, it's obviously something very different. And then what about writers two, three, and four? How do I know who they are if I don't even know who the first one is? And then this is the foundation of Revelation. This is already the very beginning of the book. Now, if it is the Antichrist riding on that first white horse... Then chapters 1 through 3 are about the church, but the rest of Revelation is about the Antichrist and the nation of Israel, if it's the Antichrist. Now, on the other hand, if it's Jesus Christ, then the first writer represents Christ and the gospel, and the rest of the book of Revelation, as is taught by the Seventh-day Adventist church, is about Christ and his church. So this morning... You've got the text right in front of you. It's important that you see what your Bible actually says. We're going to look at the evidence. And here's the first part of it. In your Bibles, Revelation 6, verses 1 and 2. John writes, Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he went out conquering and to conquer. You see, I've highlighted the colors there, uh, or each of these pieces of evidence. I want to look at each one of these with you, and then I'll let you draw your own conclusion. Our first evidence is the color white. It says, Behold, I saw a white horse. Now, uh, Ladd is not an Adventist, but he writes a very good commentary, and here's what he writes. In the Revelation, white is sometimes, once in a while, always. That's a big word. White is always a symbol of Christ or spiritual victory. Well, that's a pretty strong clue. It, it certainly it certainly is not definitive, but it's a pretty strong clue to begin with. So here's my question for those who would suggest that this is the Antichrist. Are we to believe, as some do suggest, that Revelation 6 is the one exception? In other words, everywhere else in your Bible, white is good, But in this one case, it's not. Secondly, would it then be evil 
You see, what were the people thinking who received the revelation from John? They weren't Bible scholars. They weren't even pastors. They didn't even have the tools that you had for Bible study today. They're just simply hearing this read. So when the initial Christians who received this letter from John heard this, what would they conclude? The first writer is actually a deceiver and imposter is what they say. Let's take a look at that. Uh, the second evidence, we're going to come back to that and you're going to see why. The second evidence, the bow. It says, he who sat on the horse had a bow. Now, some say only the Antichrist would have a bow. And they, they even give you political reasons for why he would be carrying a bow. I don't care about those. I just want to know from the Bible, is there any justification for this being Christ, for this being the Lord, for this being godly? Notice here, Psalms 45. O most mighty with thy glory and thy majesty, in thy majesty ride prosperously. Thine arrows, hence a bow, are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. This is a passage about the Lord. This is a passage about the Lord being the bridegroom. That's what Psalms 45 is all about. Notice here. Now, there's much that I do not agree with Dr. Ryrie, but if he says something that I can agree with based on the scripture, I'll use it. And here's what he writes. From the Ryrie Study Bible, Psalm 45 is a royal wedding psalm that ultimately refers to Jesus Christ. In Psalm 45, the one who has the bow and shooting the arrows, that is none other than Jesus Christ. And this is a gentleman who does not see Christ in Revelation 6. But he has the right information, so I'm going to borrow it. Evidence number three, the crown. In your Bible there, the writer is wearing a crown. But now, check this out. And, and this is why I like the PowerPoint slides, because it's much harder to say this than it is to simply put this up. In Revelation, we have two crowns. The horseman over here in 6-2, the one that's in front of you, he's wearing a Stephanos, which is a victory wreath. Over here in Revelation 19, the rider on the white horse, who we all agree is Jesus Christ, he's wearing a diadema. You even sing about that. Some of those hymns that you sing, you sing about Christ and his diadem. There he's wearing a diadema, which is a kingly diadem. Now, for those who do not believe that this is Jesus Christ in Revelation 6, here's their argument. Since Christ wears a kingly crown in Revelation 19, the first rider must be a counterfeit. That's an interesting argument, but it certainly doesn't hold water. You see, if I'm going to go into the bank and try to get away with counterfeit money, I don't want it to look like monopoly money. I'll never get away with it. I want it to look like the real thing. If this rider in Revelation 6 really is the Antichrist and he's a counterfeit, this is a very poor example of something counterfeit. I mean, after all, the rider's weapons... The one has a bow, the other one has a sword. Their mission, one goes forth conquering, one is destroying the wicked. Their headwear, one's wearing a wreath, one's wearing a diadem. Worth the deception. I mean, you can tell the difference. One of the big questions comes up, how about this Stephanos? How about this crown that this first rider wears? Does anyone else wear it? Sure. In your Bibles, we find that the saints wear it. 
The 24 elders wear it. But the question is, is there anywhere else in Revelation that Jesus Christ might wear it? Notice this. They go one, one slide too far. Revelation 14. Then I looked and behold a white cloud and one on the cloud sat one like the son of man having on his head a golden crown. Now this is just too simple. When I say golden crown, do you think of a wreath or do you think of a kingly diadema? Sure, a golden crown. But folks, that is where Bible study can really change the way we think. Watch. I'm going to borrow from Tim LaHaye's commentary. On the question of who is the Son of Man in Revelation 14, the one sitting on the white cloud like the Son of Man can be none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no question amongst evangelicals, the writer in Revelation 14 is Jesus Christ, the one that you just read about having a golden crown. But now check this out. Revelation 14. Revelation 14, it says that he is wearing a golden crown. What's really neat is that golden crown is not the diadema. You see, when the Seventh-day Adventist Church began 150 years ago, there were two books that were highly important to the study of this church. One, the Bible, and two, the Bible Concordance. You see, in Revelation 19, he's wearing a golden diadema. Over here, in Revelation 1, he's wearing the Stephanos, the victor's crown. But in Revelation 14, which talks about that golden crown, it is a golden Stephanos. It's the wreath. You wouldn't think of that, but only when you go back and look at what John actually wrote, then you realize, wait a minute. In Revelation 14, he's taken the Stephanos from earlier with Jesus. He's taken the Diademus from later with Jesus, and he's blending the two in Revelation 14, which is seen of Jesus coming. I like this. In Dr. John Pauline's book, he nails it. He gets it absolutely accurate. He had a golden victory crown on his head because he took the time to actually see what the wording was. Notice this. What made the lamb victorious? It was his sacrifice because he was slain. When they had twisted, and notice the Greek word here, when they had twisted a crown, a wreath, a stephanos of thorns, they put it on his head. That's Matthew. You see the rider who's on the white horse who has the victory wreath wearing the stephanos? It's the same crown that is worn by Jesus on the cross. Except on the cross, it's thorns. In Revelation, it becomes golden. Evidence number four, victory. In your Bibles, you read that he went out to conquer and conquering. I had the uh, wonderful, wonderful uh, blessing of being able to travel with my wife and visit some of the uh, areas of the seven churches a couple years ago. And there you can see that is the goddess Nike, the goddess of victory. I don't have my Nikes on now, but I do have a pair of Nike shoes. And it still means the same thing today. You see, when the shoe company chose the name Nike, <laughs> they weren't going to pick the name Lemon. Okay, now, I know I'm halfway around the world, but if you buy a lemon of a car back in the United States, 
you're wishing you hadn't, okay? The word Nike, it still means the same thing today. I mean, just go down to any sports field. I don't care what the sport is. They've got something on them that says Nike on it. Nike means victory, victorious. Oh, and by the way, if you're not familiar with where the swish mark comes from, right here. See how it comes down and comes back up? And so today, when you walk down the streets in old Ephesus, that is still sitting there. There's the beginning of your swish mark. Now, let me show you something that's really pretty cool here about this whole thing on victory and Nike. Notice here, I, I call this the opening story of Revelation. You see, we have the seven churches in chapters 1 through 3. Then we have the throne room in Revelation 4 and 5. Then we have Revelation 6 where we come back down to earth and something's happening here with the four horsemen. And then finally we have the multitude in heaven. Do you know, do you realize your Bibles, your Revelation and your Bibles could have stopped with Revelation 7. Because in Revelation 7, everybody is in heaven. You're with the Lamb. All tears are wiped away. You're before the throne. You see, all the visions that occur after Revelation 7 are just like the book of Daniel, where you just keep on building more visions on top of the initial foundation. Here's the opening story. Now, check this out. This is from the King James Bible. In the King James Bible, over here to the seven churches, Jesus repeatedly says, I want you to overcome. Then when you go a little bit further in the King James to Revelation 5, it says the Lamb prevailed. Go just a little bit further to the text you're looking at right now, Revelation 6, verses 1 and 2, and here you say, see, it says the rider conquered. I'm going to switch the screen for you for just a moment. Here goes. Every single one of those passages is the word Nike. Every single one of those passages is the word Nike. Jesus calls us to Nike. At the end of the seventh church, he even says to you and me, I want you to Nike as I Nike'd. Then he shows us exactly how he Nike'd. In Revelation 5, you see the lamb slain, representing the cross. Then you come down here to the white horse at Nike's. So if you were the original recipient of the book of Revelation, and you already know that Jesus said, I want you to Nike as I Nike'd, and then he showed you how he nike through his sacrifice, if the very next vision then shows a rider on a white horse going forth to Nike, why would you even think that this could be the Antichrist? It's just not there. It's just not there. Now, this is very interesting. I put up a couple of Bible translations up here. In chapter 3, Jesus calls us to Nike. And to Nike in chapter 5, we have the first rider. We still don't know. We're still not, still not conclusive on who the first rider is. But we have Nike all the way across. Now look at the King James. Overcome, prevail, conquer. I personally think that the King James writers were choosing all kinds of different words to describe Jesus Christ. But if you want consistency, you can go, for example, to the RSV. The RSV shows conquer, conquer, conquer. Now, go to the Darby version. The Darby version, which promotes the rapture and the Antichrist, look what it does. Overcome, overcome, but then they change the word 
for the first rider because you are not to associate the first rider with Jesus Christ in the previous scenes. Again, this is how even a Bible translation can change or affect the way that you think. Here's one Bible I was looking at. I had to take a picture of this because you open up the Bible. It says the book opened the first seal, the false Christ. I haven't even read the text yet. And already the author of this Bible, the company that produced this Bible, is already telling me this is what we want you to think. Here's another one. Now, I like the Home and Study Bible because the Home and Study Bible, victory, victorious, victor. I love the consistency. I love the fact that they use the word victory all the way through there. So prior to the first rider, the word Nike is always linked to Christ. Suddenly interjecting the Antichrist in the first seal is an unwarranted intrusion. In my own book, here's how I tried to sum this up. Up to this point, the first seal, John's Greek-speaking audience has come to associate the word Nike with Christ alone. Certainly, they would see the Nike activity of the first horseman as something positive. This is the most natural way to interpret the first seal. The third point, an evil antichrist. Sorry, it doesn't go with the original language. It doesn't fit with the symbolism. It does not fit with the context. To bring in the Antichrist here is totally unwarranted. And then there's this very cool thing. Now, Pastor Lloyd knows about this, and those of you who have taken a little time to do some Bible study, you know about chiasms. We're not going to get into anything deep here. I just want you to see something that's pretty neat because I love puzzles. I, Lloyd knows I love doing magic tricks. When I do presentations in schools on drug-free and violence-free programs, I like to include a little bit of visual aids with them just to kind of get the point across. Well, the chiasm is like a puzzle. It's just the way they used to use poetry back in the day. So check this out. Here's a chiasm. And basically, whatever you see in the first half of the book is kind of mirrored in the second half of the book. But notice this. This is a really good one. You see all these texts from the first half of the book, and then you see all these texts from the second half of the book. But what happens is you get this mirror effect where you keep on finding the same thing in the front and the same thing in the back, kind of repeated. It mirrors itself. Now, going one step further, I just want you to see this. This is from Dr. Maxwell's book, God Cares, Volume 2 on Revelation. What it does is simply shows us that in these two sections of the Bible, the white horse rider, if anything, the chiasm, the mirror effect, shows us that this would be Christ, the same person, not something different. Now, let me share with you a few statements from both Adventist and non-Adventist. Here's from early Protestants, Matthew Henry's commentary. Notice the first word, most. And yet today, walk down to the Christian bookstore, most are not like they were just a few hundred years ago. Here's what he writes. Most consider that this first writer denotes righteousness and purity. Christ goes on conquering. Matthew Henry, one of the most, one of the most famous commentaries that Protestants use today. This was amazing. My, my wife and I were down in Florida, and we were, we were on vacation, and a friend invited us to go to their church Bible study that night. So we went down, uh, it was their Wednesday night prayer meeting group, and they happened to be going through the book, The Great Controversy. Had never seen this before. They're reading through the Great Controversy book. Notice what she says. 
First, he borrows language from Revelation 6, where the white horse is. Jesus rides forth as a mighty conqueror, victor in heaven and earth. Then she switches, and she starts talking from Revelation 19. No crown of thorns now mars that sacred head, but a diadem of glory, king of kings. Then she goes back to Revelation 6. The great day of his wrath is coming. Who shall be able to stand? She's taken Revelation 6, and she's taken Revelation 19, and she's blending the two of them together, just like the Bible chiasm does. I saw that. I, I called Brother William Fago back over here at the uh, Andrews Seminary when I got back, and I said, would you take a look at this page? He read through there, and he said, I've never noticed that before. I'll tell you what. Ellen White was not trying to be a commentator in Revelation. But if you read what she wrote, you will find that the Holy Spirit worked through her in terms of what she wrote. William Hendrickson, I, that, that's half of my family, was Christian Reform growing up in Holland, Michigan, big Christian Reform community. Here's what William Hendrickson wrote. We agree with the view of many eminent interpreters who regard the writer as symbolizing the Christ. Again, notice the previous commentary, he said most think this is Christ. Here he writes, many eminent interpreters. And yet today... You go down to the Christian bookstore, and nobody's talking about Christ in this part of Revelation. Over the last few hundred years, it has completely reversed. It's completely changed. Jesus Christ has been pulled out. The Antichrist has been put in, and the average Christian has no clue. I did something one time. My wife and I were in the Christian bookstore, and I'm looking at some of the new books over there in the prophecy section. And so when the lady came by and asked if she could help me, I said, yes. I pulled out two of the commentaries, Matthew Henry and one of the newer ones. I said, this one says this is Jesus Christ. This one says this is the Antichrist. Which one do you recommend I purchase? People should know. People should know what their Bibles say. So here's the opening story of Revelation. The churches are called to be victorious through Jesus. Then they see how Jesus is victorious through his sacrifice. Then we come back down here, Revelation 6, where we see about victory in the white horse. And finally, we have the victors with the lamb there. Notice, early Protestants, 1800. Evidently, Christ in the first seal, whether in person or by his angel, as appears from Revelation 19. Here's another one. This is from the Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. You, you see, Pastor Lloyd, that is why in the opening of my book, you will see all the different churches and denominations. It doesn't make a difference to me. I don't care if you're Baptist or Episcopalian, if you're Catholic. I, I don't care what you are. The question is not about who you are. The question is about who he is. What I want you to do is I want you to simply open up and to know when you're looking in your Bible, are you reading about Jesus Christ and the message he has for you, or are you reading about the Antichrist and something terrible in the future? It's two different, completely different stories. And if Jesus Christ is writing something about you and I, then we should know what it is he has to say. This rider on the white horse then is more likely the influence Jesus wields on this earth, the power of his word. Mark Finley, are you familiar with Mark Finley? 
one of our greatest evangelists. Jesus is the one riding that horse, conquering and to conquer. You see, all the suggestion, I mean, all the evidence here is pointing to Christ as the conqueror on this white horse. But then I'll have people who come back and say, but Jim, we've always talked about church history. We've always said that the first seal is about the early church. Well, you know what? If this writer is the Antichrist, then what we're teaching in our Revelation seminars doesn't make sense. That takes me all the way back to the day when that gentleman raised his hand there inside the church and said to me, are you suggesting that the Antichrist is guiding the church? But 30 years ago, I had not studied my Bible. I didn't have an answer. And so here we are. Back to Matthew Henry's commentary. By the going forth of this white horse, the progress of the Christian religion, that is the first century church, seems to be intended. The Christian religion was preached in purity by its apostles. Pastor, I know that you like Dr. Stavanovic. Here's what he has to say in his book. Through the Holy Spirit and through the preaching of the gospel and by his faithful people, Christ has begun the expansion of his kingdom by conquering and winning human hearts for himself and bringing the gospel into their lives. You know what? I should slow down right there because I just, I just suddenly realized something. That, that statement right there is a summary of your red shirts. That is a summary of going on and knocking on doors. With with that in mind, I want to just read that again, because obviously this pertains to all of you here. Through the Holy Spirit and through the preaching of the gospel by his faithful people, Christ has begun the expansion of his kingdom by conquering and winning human hearts. I believe that's why you're going out knocking on doors. To win hearts for Christ. It's a powerful statement. There have been objections. Hey, Jim, how can the lamb who's holding the scroll also be the writer within the scroll? Well, as I point out to them, the apocalyptic language is fluid. This is the same book where Jesus is both the lion and the lamb. Go figure. This is the same book where he's also the priest and the sacrifice. Go figure again. It is fluid language. It's symbolic. And so here we have Revelation's opening story, which shows us how we overcome. Jim, Pastor Lloyd, Vicki, I want you to be victorious as I was victorious. How is that, Lord? Through my sacrifice, through following the Father's will. And then we come down here to the white horse here on earth, and we see his victory going forth. And then finally in chapter 7, we see the victorious. Who, who in their right mind joins a losing team? No answer. Just in case you didn't know it, this word Nike is not just in Revelation. Romans eight thirty seven. By faith, you are more than Nike conquerors through him that loves you. First John, same author as Revelation. First John chapter five. For whosoever is born of God overcomes Nike's the world. What is the victory Nike that overcomes Nike's the world of our faith? Ah, uh, are you familiar with this song? I think we're going to be closing with this this morning.
Faith is the victory. To him that overcomes the foe, white raiment shall be given. There, there's Revelation 7 right there. Before the angels he shall know his name confessed in heaven. Then onward from the hill of light, our hearts with love aflame will vanquish all the host of night in Jesus' conquering name. Faith is the victory. Faith is the victory. Oh, glorious victory that overcomes the world. Our message today is about Jesus Christ. He is the victor. It's not about Jews. It's not about Antichrist. It's about Jesus Christ. And the fact that he has already won the victory. If you're like me, I know you are. There are areas in your life that still need to have the victory. Today I offer you Jesus Christ, the rider on the first horse. It's not just about understanding church history. It's about understanding the one who is behind history. Maybe there's just something in your life yet this morning, something in your life this week, that you're reminded you need a Savior. And more than just someone to forgive your sins, you need someone who can help you overcome. That is the Jesus that I offer you this morning. Let's bow our heads. Oh, Lord. The evidence is all about you. No wonder the book starts off with your words, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Lord, there's not a soul here in this sanctuary this morning who does not need victory in another part of our lives. Lord, you showed us how you surrendered to the Father's will. Over the Easter, we we were reminded of how you, you went to the cross knowing it was unfair, knowing it was wrong, but also knowing that you could not let us go. And Lord, with our heads bowed right now, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would just impress on, on any heart, my heart, pastor's heart, Lord, just impress upon our hearts any needs that we might have right now to turn over to you to be victorious over. May we have the faith to believe that you can, in fact, do that for us. Faith is the victory. Faith is the victory. Jesus, we thank you for taking the victory for us and sharing it with us. We pray this in your lovely and most powerful name. Amen. 